So um, I'm deputy editor, and I cover a lot of films, documentaries, um, breaking news, uh, podcasts, obituaries, restaurants, a little bit of everything. Hello, and welcome to Here in L.A., Echo Park Edition. Today, we talk with Pat Saperstein, a longtime editor and writer at Variety. She's an expert in international and independent film and documentaries. And best of all, she's a native Angelino whose parents are also fascinating to talk about. On top of it all, Pat's super knowledgeable about where to get great food in this town. So sit back and relax as we venture into Echo Park and chat it up with Pat. Hey, everybody. I am here with Pat Saperstein. Hi, Tony. Thanks for coming to my apartment. Thanks for having me. I love these <laughs> old Hollywood buildings. And, of course, I was born right across the street. You know, um, when I asked Mike if he knew who was born over there, it drew a blank on him. Do you know who was born across the street? I I don't. I should have looked that up since I listened to his, but I don't know. I I, I am under the belief that Lucy had her kids there and Judy Garland had... I mean, that's certainly possible, but neither one of them were Jewish. So that was the Jewish hospital. And so I'm not sure about that. Huh. And so this is like the 50s. So basically back then, it, I mean, they wouldn't have turned you away if you weren't no, Jewish, right? No, ab- absolutely not. But I think people, you know, kind of gravitated to a place where they knew all the doctors were Jewish or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> If it was well, a boy, it was easier to... <laughs> now there's no Jewish doctors over there. Um, but I'm sure there's some at Kaiser and across the street at Children's and all that other stuff. So um, now you live in Echo Park. I do. How long have you lived in Echo Park? I've lived in uh, Echo Park proper for only six years. But I lived in Silver Lake and on the Echo Park Silver Lake border before that for uh, many years. So about 30, 30 to 35 overall. Oh, wow. Yeah. Where where do you consider that border to be? So the border is, uh, I believe the border is in the middle of half Uh It's like around <laughs> Benton Street. Okay. Um, did you believe in the half Safo, the happy foot, sad foot sign? Did you play that little game? Oh, I didn't really. What was the game supposed the to be? The game was the first time. It was a spinning. It was a spinning sign. One sign was a, a, a foot that was smiling. The other foot was a, a foot with crutches who was frowning. And the little game that I never played was whichever sign you see first when you look at it is going to be what your day is going to be. That's what like. your day is. Oh, that's that's cool. You know, I don't think they came up with that until. <laughs> I was kind of out of the area or something, but but that's fun. My kids would have liked it. It's fun and now it's gone. Yeah, I, it's sad that it's gone. It is. Um, okay, so you lived over by there for 30 years. Yeah. So you watched as Silver Lake and Echo Park changed. I did. There were like very few restaurants in Silver Lake when I first lived there. It was Seafood Bay. It was, you know, your only stop for a good meal. And so what what brought about the change? 
Well, um, you know, a lot of people would just say gentrification, but uh, Silver Lake was, the north part of Silver Lake was always pretty gentrified. They called it Pill Hill because so many doctors lived there. Um, so, you know, there were always a lot of college professors and movie business people in the area. Uh, but I think it's the same thing that brought me there in the first place. Uh, I was originally looking off of Melrose because that was the hip area at the time and the houses seemed a little pricey. And someone said, you should check out this place silver like the houses are really cheap there and so i did and um you know the rest is history we so, so you bought way back 30 years ago i did in the i bought in uh 87 i believe look at you <laughs> good job i was pretty young but i had an inheritance from my mom so i decided uh what the hell i'll get, I'll get a house in silver lake you grew up in malibu i did did you go to uh Samo high I did. I went to Malibu Park Junior High, Webster Elementary, Malibu Park Junior High was not a high school at the time, and then to Santa Monica High. Did you live over by Zuma? Is that why you went to um, Malibu um, Park? No, everyone in Malibu from the very tip near Pacific Palisades to the other end at Zuma, everyone goes to the same junior high. Oh. And so you might be on a, on a bus for 45 minutes in the morning. Uh, traversing all 26 miles of Malibu to get to junior high. Uh, I lived right in the center by the pier, by Alice's restaurant, and um, all those things that are right in the kind of the middle, across from the Malibu Inn. Was, um, when, when I, I first moved to LA in 84, and my first California girlfriend was right by Malibu Park. Mm. And um, what, a, what a commute from um, Venice, where oh, I was yeah. living at the time. Oh, yeah. And then later, Inglewood. Wow. And so it was a long ass drive. You never know what's going to be happening on PCH. Never. Um, but she loved growing up way out there. And I looked at it like, well, what is there to do if you're not a surfer? Because um, PCH is kind of dangerous, I felt. She didn't. She was like, oh, me and my brothers used to hitchhike up and down here all the time. Right. And we didn't look at it that way. Do you think that growing up in Malibu back then was was as, as fun as she did? Uh, it was fun because it was kind of like the country. There wasn't a lot to do, uh, but it was a little difficult if you weren't in the horsey crowd. Most of the girls were in the horsey crowd. Most of the guys were surfers. You know, they had a little clique called Diver Dan Suntan Clan that, uh, you know, sometimes they'd let you hide out in their little uh, hut that they built out of palm fronds on the beach. But if, if you weren't in one of those crowds, it was a little hard to be like the nerdy kid in Malibu. But eventually, you know, as we got closer to junior high and high school, we kind of found our own tribes. Did you hitchhike up and down PCH? I did not hitchhike because we had a very, very sad, unfortunate thing happen. When I started junior high, uh, a beautiful 14-year-old uh, African-American girl was hitchhiking uh, named Jill Quinn, and uh, she was uh, kidnapped. Um, I'm getting choked up just talking yeah. about it. In Malibu Canyon, and um, so we were not allowed to do that. Um, it was just a really, really sad uh, thing that happened at our school that everyone knew about. Hmm. I, I'm thank you for teaching me this I did I'll have to research more about this I looked her up recently because I I was wondering if there was any record of that and apparently her parents were uh, administrators at Santa Monica College or very respected in the community and um, it was just a really horrible thing 
So and, no, no hitchhiking. <laughs> and and so then high school comes and you get commuted the other direction. Everybody has to go to Samo High. Right. So at that point, my mom decided to move us to Santa Monica because she didn't want to be doing the driving and everything. She didn't really <laughs> like driving. She was um, from the East Coast. She didn't want to be schlepping anyone around. So we moved to Santa Monica so that I could ride my bike around and, and take the, the bus around. Oh, that's perfect. Uh, what what neighborhood? What what streets were you on? Uh, we lived on Arizona at Twenty uh, Fifth Street. So, okay. Uh, not the north of Wilshire crowd, but not the south of Santa Monica crowd. Right. Right, right in right. the middle. And I worked at KCRW when I was in high school. Used to ride my bike over to KCRW, and uh, do the engineering for a children's radio show. You were you so you were on the the board. Yeah, they let me on the board As when I was teenager. sixteen years old. Sixteen. Yeah. Wow. So that was fun. And in the middle of the night, my boyfriend and I had uh, got to have music shows. There wasn't much rock and roll on KCRW back then. What, what year are we talking? Uh, like uh, 77, probably 77, 78. Uh, there wasn't a lot of rock and roll, but they would let us do rock in the middle of the night. And then the rest of the time it was jazz or reggae. What, what kind of rock were you playing? We were playing, a, it was just before punk broke, so we were playing a lot of art rock, a lot of Roxy music, a lot of David Bowie. Um, we, Bruce Springsteen had just come on the scene, um, a lot of ELO, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, there was, it was just before punk rock, or else we would have been playing that too, but we didn't know about it yet. How exciting Hadn't is made it to Santa Monica. I mean, I can't, first of all, even picturing Born to Run on KCRW as a new song. Yeah, that was it was wild as a new song. I'm not a huge Springsteen fan now, but when it was brand new, it was that was something. Yeah. Okay, so um you're I mean, Arizona in twenty six, not too shabby. You're you're kind of in the middle of everything. And the big blue big blue bus back then what, cost a quarter? Yeah, the Big Blue Bus was awesome. Um, we took it everywhere. It went right to Westwood. So I started UCLA early. They gave me early admission to UCLA, and I just would take the Big Blue Bus up there from high school, and that was wow. really great. Did a lot of your friends at uh, Samuel High go to UCLA? A lot did, for sure. A lot also um, peeled off and went to Berkeley, uh, but there were a lot at UCLA. Did you ever... Um want to go to like an east coast school or somewhere outside of la weirdly i never really considered that until after a year or two i got a little antsy at ucla the classes were so big and it was so impersonal there and uh, i decided i wanted to move north and be in a more hippie-ish environment and so um i moved up north and and uh, finished up at sonoma state university oh that is hippie up there yeah i just i wanted to embrace that side for some reason and got there at exactly the wrong time the minute that punk rock uh became <laughs> a thing and spent all my time um that i lived in santa rosa i spent driving back to the mabuhay gardens every week um to see punk concerts where where are those gardens oh it's a it's a <laughs> It was a rock club in a, a punk club in San Francisco. It was a Filipino restaurant called the Mabuhe Gardens. That was a, a famous punk club. What uh, neighborhood in San Francisco? It was on um, on Broadway. So downtown. Um, on yeah, what is that neighborhood called? Uh, North Beach. Yeah. North Beach, across from all the strip clubs. Right. Right. Yeah. And and Chinatown. Yeah. Near <laughs> near Chinatown. I mean, what that, that's what's great about that area. You have probably some of the best Italian food, 
right across from these CD uh, strip clubs. And I think the I-Beam was over there back then, too. Uh, the I-Beam was on Haight Street. Oh, you're right. Yeah. You're right. And so, but again, what a great place for music. It San was. Francisco. It was great. And uh, it was kind of ridiculous. I was driving back and forth all the time and finishing up at, at Sonoma State and eventually moved um, down closer to, to where all the clubs were. What, do you remember what punk rock shows you, or what punk rock bands you were seeing in San Francisco? Oh, yeah. I, I remember tons of them. I was really uh, into this band, female-fronted band called Pink Section, which never became very famous, but was uh, super cool and influential. And, and another San Francisco band, uh, Tuxedo Moon, was one of my favorites. They're another really great, influential band. How were you able to discover these bands back then? That's a really good question, and sometimes I wonder how we were able to. But we, um, I subscribed to Trouser Press Magazine, and I also subscribed to The Village Voice. Mm. And uh, I didn't know anything that was going on in New York, but I was reading about the band reviews in The Village Voice, and I would wait for them to come to San Francisco. Currently, you are a journalist, a longtime journalist at Variety. Were you on the college papers at all when you were in school? I was. I created a magazine when I was at Sonoma State called the Sonoma Management Review, which had a very boring title because I was a business major. Uh, but I mostly interviewed, um, you know, people who had bakeries or guy, French guys who were growing snails to supply to restaurants and you know, kind of quirky food people. The first microbrewery ever in the country uh, was one of the big articles in our college magazine. Wow. Well, you know, that segues perfectly to how I first met you or became aware of you. Back in the blogosphere days, you um, ran eatingla.com? Right. What made you decide to be one of the first foodies? Well, I don't know if I was one of the first foodies, but I was I was one of the first food bloggers in L.A. And I took I had taken a food writing class. You know, I had been doing entertainment um, journalism my whole life and just felt like it was time to branch out a little and always love to eat, of course. And I took a food writing class and the teacher was very nice, but also very dismissive. She was like, well, you'll probably never break into Bon Appetit. Uh, so you don't need to worry about the LA Times because you know, it doesn't really matter if you write for them. It's not a national magazine. And so like, you know, good luck guys because you'll probably never really get break in anywhere. And I just thought that was a real bummer to, to hear that if you couldn't break into a national glossy food magazine, there was no chance for you as a food writer. And then I looked over at the guy sitting next to me who was Michael Schneider, um, from who had just created his Franklin Avenue blog. What a small world. And he was putting restaurant reviews on the blog. And I, I, I thought, you know, if he can do that in his downtime, I can probably have a blog too. And so I just started eating LA. And this was before there was Eater or uh, anything. I don't know if it was before there was Yelp, but it was before Yelp was a big thing anyway. Mm -hmm. The blogosphere of LA was just amazing back then, wasn't it? It was fun. It was a what, good what year little did, ecosystem. What year did you uh, get inspired and in, in launch Eating LA? It was 2004. 
So it was right before the, I think the big blog year was like 2006. Does that sound right? It, I mean, I started my personal one in 2001 and I felt like 9-11 kind of launched blogging a little bit. I think though people started getting the idea that maybe we can make money at this, which I didn't like as a impetus to, to write. I feel like you should write about what you love and who cares how much money you make, but Maybe that's the punk rock hippie ethic that I've got. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I do think that it did peak at a certain time. And I think 2006 is a good is a good enough year as any. Right. But I kept on blogging for um, really until about two or three years ago. Yeah. Uh, and then I realized, you know, I should probably try and make money from my food writing or <laughs> incorporate it into my life in some other way where I'm not doing quite as much unpaid labor. Well, it's also different, too. I mean... When you're not getting paid, but you have a lot of readers, great. But now there's no money in blogging and there's very few readers. Right. So it's 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 really an art project. Right. And I didn't really like where it was going, where if you had a lot of Instagram followers, then you were getting, um, you know, hit up to be an influencer. And I, I don't really um, like doing that much sponsored content personally. It's fine, you know, if that's your business model. But personally, I didn't want to really get into that chasing followers so that I could get paid for posts and that kind of thing. <laughs> um, let's talk about, uh, you've got a really good Twitter account. You've 10,000 people on your Twitter account. I, I think I started it early. So a lot of people were just like, sure, I'll follow all these LA food people. And they're just, you know, it's funny because when I tweet something, I interact with about the same two dozen people over and over <laughs> again for the last 10 years. But at the time, at early in tweet, early in Twitter, a lot of people must have just followed me all at once. That's very humble of you. Also, very native Angelino kind of a thing. Ah, popularity, whatever, <laughs> whatever. It killed James Dean. I'm not going to fall for it. Um, recently, during the Oscars, you tweeted that you wanted to choose um, what pizza you would order from and you listed i think nine pizza places in echo park but not my favorite oh no so what's your favorite i'm from chicago oh okay so you're gonna say masa that's right wow uh did, do you think that deep dish pizza is just a novelty in la i mean kind of i think that you know i hate to sound super la because i'm usually not this person but it's a lot of carbs to eat at once <laughs> <laughs> It is. It's just, I don't know. I just, I don't know. It, it, it's tasty. I've been to Masa. It's perfectly good pizza, but I just can't do that too often. You know, um, it, also in the 80s, uh, Gino's East opened up a, a few um, restaurants. Um, and I worked at the one in uh, Brentwood. Oh, really? Uh, on Bundy. And you should have seen these ladies who you know, just got out of aerobicizing or whatever it was, come into Gino's East and ask for a slice of pizza. Well, you don't serve slices of deep dish. You serve the whole giant lasagna, basically, is what people called it. Because it's a big, it's a big honking thing. Wow. And it takes about 50 minutes to cook. And so they were very impatient. And when they saw it, they were like, I'm not putting that, like, look at all that bread. And um, and so they failed. Recently, they opened up again in um, the Valley. 
but and I'm very curious how it's doing. Interesting. Because Masa, I think, is a little bit different in that they serve a lot of other things. And so you don't have to get that if you don't want to. Right. But to me, it brings me back home. That's interesting. Well, I don't know if this was still in L.A. when you got here, but in Santa Monica, we were very fond of a place called La Barbara's. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. So it was on Wilshire, um, just over the West L.A. border from Santa Monica. And they it was kind of a semi-deep dish, and it had like a very crispy, oily crust that was just so a little sweet but also delicious and irresistible and so i'm i'm happy with kind of a hybrid pizza that's like a semi-deep dish but but masa is just like that's a lot of pizza for I me mean, you can you can literally get a thousand calories without even having i think two slices exactly so, so it's 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 ridiculous yeah it's totally ridiculous only in the midwest kind of thing um well then let's well, what pizza did you end up with uh, we ended up with Hard Times, which is like super old school, but it's just reliable. You know what you're going to get. I We have our own favorite pizza that we create there. And my partner, he doesn't really like the kind of newer gourmet places with the super thin crusts and the, you know, the burnt edges and the bubbly <laughs> stuff and all that. He doesn't always like that kind of pizza. Yeah. He likes a good New York style pizza. So, you know, we've been going to Hard Times for probably... 30 over 30 years and uh, they oh, wow. always because they moved from where we lived in silver lake to where we live in echo park isn't that great when that so happens they always they come through you know um vito's used to be over here across oh, from yeah. lacc and it's moved I, I love vito's that to me that's like one of the best new york style yeah pizzas. we used to get i used to get that catered in for variety quite a bit did ya? yeah when I was at the academy, they would go to a brothers, three brothers, something like that, because of the vegan options. Oh, okay. And Vito's doesn't play that game. Yeah. <laughs> Vito's does a very. I haven't been there for a little while, but they are they are one of the better ones. Though. Uh, okay, so let's talk about tacos, because when I go to Echo Park, that's I think what I feel is like the first. The first place that you can get decent tacos as you venture east. Would you agree? Well, I would say that there's some really good places to get tacos in Silver Lake now, just a few blocks before Echo Park, because you've got El Russo, which is over there now. And then across from that, you've got La Playita, which is a, a decent um, fish taco and ceviche option. Wait, wait where's that one at? La, uh, it used to be El Siete Mares. And they changed the name to La Playita. This is on Sunset? Yeah, right on Sunset. The little stand uh, next to Diablo. Yes, know. by that car wash. Yeah. Yes. Did you like those fish tacos? Uh, at, at La Playita? Yeah. They're pretty good. I mean, they're no, they're not as good as Ricky's. The, right. The Ricky's truck, he's great. Yeah. It's broken down right now, but... Yeah. But, isn't, isn't that weird? He, he put out a tweet saying... I. I, I don't have a place to be right now. Yeah, I I, I hope he comes back because yeah. he he still does a great job. You know, he I had we had uh, my uh, fifth blog anniversary at Ricky's. <laughs> I think you? it was the fifth or something like that. We had a a party for the blog at Ricky's. Oh, great! Yeah. Have you ever been to the best fish taco in Ensenada? On well, Hillhurst? funny you ask. We went there Saturday for lunch. How about that? Because Ricky's was was down for right. the count. 
give me a backup. It was it was okay. It's a you know it's a decent option if if you're in that area. It it it, it, it I I talk a lot about um, the woman's touch, and when you look at this apartment, ain't no woman's touch. <laughs> and I feel like that's the same way that I felt at the Playboy Mansion, and then I felt at Graceland. And how I feel about the best fish taco <laughs> is it's clear there's a man that runs this place and he has no interest in flowers or <laughs> we were like, is it still open? And it, and my partner said, I remember with the, when they opened their doors, they weren't quite finished yet or it hadn't gotten all the way built out when we first went there. And then we went in and he's like, oh, it's still it looks the same. I'm not sure they're finished. <laughs> It's, it's almost like EQ. It's like it's always in progress. But, you know, I have to hand it to them for hanging in there this long because uh, they've been there a while now. They have. They have. Uh, okay. So in Echo Park, what tacos do you like? So in Echo Park, um, uh, I still like the Taco Zone truck after all these years. Over the, by the Vons. By the Vons, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the table that parks a block down from Taco Zone um, is very good, too. My daughter uh, appreciates their vegetarian tacos that oh. they do there. Uh, but all, all their others are pretty solid. How old is your daughter? She's 27. So, so <laughs> is she one of these vegan option pizza people, too? Uh, not anymore. She's she's gone back to the to the cheese side, but but she I do know some of the vegan options because of her. It, hasn't it been amazing how vegan has really taken off in LA? It it is, and I know there's a new vegan pizza place in Silver Lake over on uh, Rowena that um will I'll I'll give it a try. I'll see what that's about. Yeah. But back to tacos, though. Yes. Um, so going up, I mean, Guisados is also always yes. always solid. You know, when, I love taking out-of-towners to Guisados because you can get, if you're lucky, you can get a good taqueria in most major cities these days. But I don't think a Guisados will survive anywhere else except for L.A. and maybe New York in the future. You might be right. It's a different style, yeah. But it's so good. And it's it, so good. Is it good because we're just used to carne asada and pollo and we're sick of it now? Um, and we appreciate a change of pace? Um, partly, but they just do a nice job with their, their stews. I, I think that's yeah. what guisados means, I think. Um, this stew, oh, is that what it means? I, I believe so. I'm, don't, ah. don't quote me on that. But it, Too late. But they're very, um, they're very good, but... Just past the Guisados uh, stand is um, another stand that's been there for a couple of years now. The name escapes me at the moment, but they're very good. And they have El Pastor that they um, carve off with I, a little bit of pineapple on it. And that's a very nice stand. I drove past that. This is just a table with a tent on, on yeah, top of it. Yeah, but they, it has a line out in front usually. That, um, that spit that they were running was giant. Yeah. I was like... Can they get through all that meat? And I guess so. I mean, you they don't you through, don't make it if you're not going to sell they it, right? They get through it very fast. So that place is very solid. But I forget the name right now. But yeah. just past Guisados. Then across the street, you've got Teddy's Red Tacos. Look at you! <laughs> which is uh, Birria. And that's very good. It's very saucy and, you know, some might say greasy. I'll just say saucy. Um <laughs> But it's a specific style of taco that you have to try if you haven't had it. If you eat beef, it's uh, 
got a ton of flavor to it. lived a little bit in San Francisco from 94 to 99. I, I think it's good for anybody that loves LA to live in Northern California for a little while. I think so too. Um, Although you have to defend yourself a lot. Well, I, being, being from Chicago, I I was just like... Oh, that's true. I, I, like, I gave up. I was like, oh yeah, I'm, not, I'm from here, you know. <laughs> I'm from here now. But I feel like the Northern California people are nicer about it than Southern Californians are about Northern Cal. No, no. You don't think so? No, they're they're pretty bad. Well, they do insist on calling it the city. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't call it SF. Yeah. Or San Fran. Or Frisco. Or that's, oh my God. That's also forbidden at variety, or it was at one point. That's one of my favorite things to say. <laughs> Because it's ridiculous. You can't decide. As, as writers, you can't tell me what I can't write. Right? <laughs> right. And if I know it's going to piss you off, then for sure I'm putting it in there. <laughs> right? We, no. We used to we used to be forbidden to say Tinseltown or Frisco. What about the Southland? The Southland? I, you know, it's never come up. I mean, I think we could say it. These are the things that I love about journalism and copy editing <laughs> is what's verboten and why and maybe the history behind it and i think with the southland i think it was just overused that was it, forbidden at the la times i'm not sure I, I i i feel like i was asked to work around it mm. like try something else i don't think anyone at variety has ever tried to use the southland <laughs> well i also think the the issue was it's just too vague right like does it mean san diego too you know, it's just, it's, be specific. So were we going to talk about San Francisco burritos? Was that where you were going with that? Yeah, I, thank you for bringing me back home. I fell in love with San Francisco burritos. I did too. And I would love to try to find something like that here in LA. But every time I try a burrito, I'm really disappointed. There are some great burritos here, but I have to say that's not my preferred delivery method right at the moment. <laughs> so I can't tell you where the very best burritos are at the moment. I can tell you um, a lot about tacos, and I can tell you where the burritos are that taste like high school for me, which oh. is uh, Campos on 20th and Pico yes. is where we went all the time in high school and yes. when I worked at KCRW. And their avocado burritos are so bland and yet so comforting. How come that chain didn't like really take off? Because you're absolutely right. Over by SMC, that place is packed. It is. And their turkey taco, hard shell turkey tacos with the fried shell and the shredded turkey also highly recommended. The fried shell, I get in trouble for loving Jack in the Box tacos. Where do you stand? Uh, I like a good fried shell, you know. I don't I don't really like, you know, the fast food style as much, but they have their place for sure. Well, I imagine when you're raising kids, if you're on the run, yeah. Everybody's hungry. It's a dollar for two. Right. <laughs> and when Malo first opened, I, I know this probably is not like the most, um, I don't know, informed Mexican food opinion, right. but we used to love their ground beef and pickle hard shell tacos. When they first opened, it was like, 
one of the first places in in Silver Lake where you could get like a nice Mexican meal and also a decent margarita at the same time. Okay, I I've spent many many a day at Marlowe and many a night. Every time I'd go there, I'd end up having to pay a hundred bucks. Did you did you end up the same way? It you know it adds up for sure, <laughs> but you're not going to get out of Casito del Campo for any less and are. Arguably, the food is, you know, not nearly as good as Malo used to be in its heyday. It, 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 both very fun places to go. Right. Extremely fun places to go. And um, and colorful. And so what happened to Malo? Because they had the downtown location, too. And I thought they were on top of the world. I know. I don't, you know, people in the restaurant business, they have their ups and downs. They expand too much and then they have to contract. I think um, Stephen Arroyo still has a place over on Beverly near where he used to have Cobras and Matadors, I believe is still open over there mm -hmm. uh, near the Farmer's Market. You could just write about food all day if you wanted to, couldn't you? Well, I, I remember a lot of places that have come and gone, that's for sure. But you, so that's what I'm saying. You know the history, which a lot of people don't. And anytime that I criticize big publications for importing food critics in LA, that's that's what I point to. Is you can't I don't feel like you can tell as good of a story unless you also know its history. And it's nice to be able to walk with somebody, for example, like I'm sure it is with you, and they point out what used to be there. And why it was important, and and well, the, it's curved that way because the Brown Derby used to be right, there. right, and and the Gaylord is great, and the the what's the restaurant underneath it, the the ship based uh, the uh, HMS Bounty, the Bounty mm -hmm. it, um, is all great, but look across the street where the Ambassador used to be, and I I feel like. L.A. is so rich with stories. Oh, yeah. You know about, what was it, Los Globos, or not Los Globos, the um, El Cid, right? Up, what, right here up on Sunset? What was there? That was the JL Cafe. Yeah, I, I've seen pictures of that. I did a story for uh, Eater on all this, on some of the really crazy theme restaurants back in the 20s and 30s, the really old ones. Yeah. And that was one of my favorites, the JL Cafe. Can you imagine thinking <laughs> that would be a cool thing to do now, put <laughs> diners in jail? I, I feel like... Maybe in Tokyo they have something like that. Maybe. I mean, I've seen I've I've seen about restaurants where it's all in the dark. Right. You know, dining in the dark. Yeah, yeah. just gimmicks, just weird gimmicks. And I can I can see jail. <laughs> Why not? El Cid, though, what an interesting place it is. We like, saw a great James Bond concert there a few years ago with all different singers, each doing um, a James Bond theme, and it was a really fun show. So you were you were glad that you moved to uh, Silver Lake and then Echo Park, huh? Oh, definitely. I'm not not a West Sider anymore. <laughs> when you go back to Malibu, do you have warm feelings for it? I do for sure, but I I just look around and think of all the things that used to be there, like the great um, organic salad place where John, um, which is now still I think John's Garden, I think is still the health food store in the center of town but at the time it was just a little nursery and you could get for a dollar a big fresh salad you know with some uh, dr bronner's chips on the side and it was it was fun back then i remember in the 80s um 
my girlfriend's parents used to say the best thing about Malibu is there's no sewer system. So they'll never be able to overdevelop this area. And I feel like even though that has changed and there has been an awful lot of development in Malibu, I don't think it's been overdeveloped. What do you think? Well, I think that that sewer thing did have a lot to do with it. And the fact that Pacific Coast Highway is just so small, you can't really, you can't have huge resorts there because it would just be impossible to get people up and down the highway. Mm -hmm. And the way the beach is uh, situated, too, there's not a lot of room to build things. So, um, you know, generally I'm in favor of building more housing, but I, I think it would have been hard to accommodate much more in Malibu than there is already. And those... Um, those septic tank trucks were a very common feature of my childhood. Everybody's septic tank was always overflowing. I also think that there is a, a strange, I mean, maybe this is everywhere, but I feel in, in LA for sure that people imagine a bubble around their space. So the beach communities have theirs and they, they won't cross like the one one o five often, or the one o the the or, or the four o five, in Venice it's Lincoln. If you're on the west side of Lincoln, you stay on the west side of Lincoln. And I feel like Malibu has the same kind of thing. That sure you can have a house there, but you're never going to have any friends because you're not going to the valley. You're not. You're for sure you're not going to Echo Park, which is crazy because is. <laughs> because. If you're if if you're lucky enough to live in Malibu, you also probably know a little bit about LA. And you for sure want to go to Hollywood and West Hollywood from time to time. And I would think that Santa Monica is really your your playground, right? But but I think that, that that's that's another reason that there hasn't been a lot of development in Malibu is people feel like it's kind of a dead end over there. You know what I'm saying? Kind oh, of yeah. Yeah. Once you're there, you don't really want to leave. And and when I was a kid, we my mom would drive us into Santa Monica to have dinner on Friday nights and you know at a Mucky Duck Fish and Chips because there used to be a big British population in Santa Monica, but we never went much farther than that because yeah, Santa Monica was the end of the line. Right. Whereas Echo Park, totally different. You're in the center of everything. Um, if you want to watch, where do you go to see movies when you want to go to, out to a movie? I like the the new Glendale Lemley, I think is is a great little theater because it's um, still relatively new. They have beer and wine and a few nice little snacks and it's kind of um, underused, um, unfortunately. Yeah. But I, I like going there. Thanks for telling me about that because I belong to the AMC thing. And so anytime I'm in Glendale, I'm, I'm now at the Americana. Now right. The, the Pacific got sold to them. Right. But... This is one one of those side streets to the east of, of the brand, right? Right. It's in the bottom floor of an apartment building, and it's just a really nice little theater. And they're closing the Lemley in in Pasadena. So Are they really? So that'll be kind of unfortunate. Mm. Okay, so I'm bringing up uh, movies and stuff because you have been working for Variety for how long? Oh, um, 26 years. Wow. It's been a while. I mean, I'm taking my hat off to you because journalism in 26 years in L.A. 
has seen more downs than ups, right? It has. There's been a lot of a lot of uh, back and forth, ups, ups and downs. And the trades for sure have been vicious. Twenty six years ago, was deadline a thing? No, definitely not. So she showed up, kind of cleaned the floor with a lot of people, like one woman, (laughs) right? Like she she made a huge dent. She did in that world. It was um it was unexpected. Nobody expected someone to come along with that kind of attitude and also be breaking news constantly so quickly. And and we had a paywall at the time, so we were just really hampered to break news at all with a paywall. Yeah, I remember um, applying to work at Variety, and I I I I I think I I wrote an email with a bunch of links. And the person that was trying to help me get in there said, well, you know, the guy that runs this place doesn't use email. So can you, can you print it out? Can you print oh, out no. what you want? And I was like, I'm applying to run blogs over there. <laughs> what world am I going to be living in where I have to print out everything? And so I feel like Variety was kind of slow to the yeah. digital game. Maybe. I mean, we had a website around the time I started. We started the website. Uh, But yeah, the paywall, it was just the paywall, which was uh, something that was partially imposed by our British owners. Oh, Uh, We were owned by Reed Elsevier, which was a pretty stodgy Dutch-British company. And um, yeah, so some of their decisions were not exactly the right ones at the time. But like everyone else, we were a little behind. Was this... um... Was Variety, when you first got there in 20, uh, 26 years ago, was that next door to the E-building across from, like, the, the, right. the, the Rhea Tar Pits area? Right. And then then you guys moved to the huge tower. Right. Right across from the Tar Pits. The 30-foot, I was at the top of the 30-foot tower when the earthquake hit about 10 years ago on Easter Sunday. And the whole building started swaying back and forth. I was on the Sunday crew. And I walked down 30 flights of stairs because I was afraid the elevators were wouldn't be working or something. Holy moly. Because being on the top of a 30-floor building in an earthquake, not that fun. It's not fun. It's not, but they're actually built to withstand it, so it was totally safe. It just swayed back and forth. And so were you telling yourself as you're walking down the stairs, I'm in the safe building, I'm in a safe building? I, I was trying to, but I thought <laughs> I should, I just felt like I should get to the bottom, like just, just in case. Were people panicking? No, nobody was panicking. That was what was weird. I got down to the bottom and I asked the security guard. I was like, so what's going on? Are we all evacuating? He's like, no, we're fine. Went back, <laughs> went back to reading the sports section. You know, I was like, really? I walked down 30 flights for this? Wow. But what a view, though. Yeah, it was great. You could see everything. You could see the rock being delivered to, to LACMA. You were there. Um, I Yeah, I forget. It was was it in the middle of the night or something? But you could see all of the installation process well, of the to rock go, arriving. It had to go one mile an hour. Right. I saw the documentary they made on it. Was it any good? Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's the dumbest thing, <laughs> because I, I, again, I'm from the Midwest. You have to create stars, and often they're athletes. But LA has enough stars. Why do we care about a rock? I thought it was kind of cool. It was, it, you know, the artist had a. He had an idea behind it, and they executed it. And we don't do big things in this city very often. And usually when we do, we do them poorly. So 
I think, you know, they, they pulled it off and it gives people an interesting thing to see when they go to LACMA without having to go inside and, and look at the art necessarily. So I like it. That's true. Public art. Yeah. I like, I like some good public art. The Triforium, you know, it doesn't draw a lot of tourists these days. So. <laughs> Were you here for the 84 Olympics? I was. Do you remember um, good feelings about that? I, I remember very little about it. I just remember people worrying that there was going to be a lot of traffic and then there wasn't much. I ask because um, I was here for that and I remember it because I was in your beloved Santa Monica and I watched OJ um, run the torch up the California incline. Wow. And he handed it over to a kid in crutches. And we all cried our eyes out. Oh, wow. And I was like, is it real? <laughs> this is my first summer in L.A. Like, is anything real? And they're like, look at those tears. Wow. This is real. That's, Everything That's cool. You're lucky you remember it. For some reason, I don't remember anything about the Olympics. I think I was too busy going to the street scene downtown to, to see uh, Midnight Oil and the Circle Jerks. And really? doing stuff like that and just... Uh, didn't pay a lot of attention to the Olympics. Okay, so let's talk a, a little bit more about Variety, if you don't mind. Sure. I feel like the trades in L.A. are in a weird place right now because aren't they all owned by the same dude? Well, more or less, yes. Um, there is the there is the rap, um, which is um, not... Sh owned. Sharon Waxman's? Yeah, Sharon Waxman's the rap, which is not owned by Jay Penske. And then there's also this new crop of newsletters coming up. And I know that you know Richard Rushfield. The Ankler. Yep, the Ankler. Yep. And now there's Matt Bellany, who used to be editor of The Hollywood Reporter, his um, newsletter for Puck. And so, you know, they're kind of like the new Nikki Finks, but without this as quite as much snark. Well, I'm sure Richard has a little <laughs> snark, but... But he's not mean. No, he's not mean. He's funny. He's got a little edge. Right. He'll be sarcastic. But she was just downright mean. She was, but she was also breaking a ton of news. You know what? I, I got to ask more questions about her. When you break news, usually it's somebody leaking it to you, right? Um, well, yeah. I mean. Why would anybody give her news? Because she had the power. And in a way, Deadline still has that power, even though she's not there. It's kind of the place where pe some um, people in the industry like to break their news. Now, we like to also break news at Variety, and so we're in a constant competition with them, but they still kind of have that Nikki Fink legacy of being the place where you break your announcement. Interesting. Be well, on, on one hand, because you know it's going to get read. Right. But it, and it also feels a little more gossipy than Variety. And so if you are giving a gossipy um leak what a better place right well i don't think it is gossipy anymore i think when nikki left that part really left and now um you know the ankler has had to take up the, the gossip uh <laughs> department and a little bit matt bellany he's a little more buttoned up but um you know puck uh has a little bit more of the gossip and they're not you know the everyone else is i hate to say you know they're not influenced by the advertisers but at the end of the day they are beholden to them mm -hmm. so okay so the hollywood reporter and variety longtime rivals now owned by the same dude how okay for for those of us who don't know much about the trades 
Why should we go to one as opposed to the other if we're not going to go to both? Well, everyone has their own thing that they do well. And, you know, there's, um, although it's just as easy to go to all of them, you know, and see who has the best story <laughs> that day. But, you know, the Hollywood Reporter has, has their thing that they do. They have a beautiful, glossy magazine with um, lots, of, lots of pretty pictures. And Who's running that right now? The Hollywood Reporter. Um, Nikessa Moody. Um, and so, you know, they have great magazine, great stuff that they do well. Um, they don't break as much news, but they do a nice job on some of the feature articles. Gary Baum um, does some great stuff like the Angeline story that's getting made into a TV show. What? Yeah. I didn't know about this. Yeah. So that's, I don't know. I don't know if that's the only TV show or movie that's ever come out of a trade story, but it's one of the few. This is this is the, the, the iconic woman who drives around in her pink Corvette. And is it gonna be a like a, a biopic type of a thing? Yeah, yeah, like uh So a, somebody's gonna play Angeline. Yes, I forget who it is, but it's um <laughs> you know, it's coming out pretty soon. I didn't think that story was all that great. Well, uh, hopefully the scriptwriters, you know, made it made it worth being a limited series. Well, what, what was the big hook that she was older than she portrays herself? Who isn't? And that what? I don't know. Rich just, guys pay know, for her. Yeah, I guess just the hidden okay. the hidden life of an L.A. icon, I guess. We'll have to watch the show and find out. I feel like of L.A. personalities. I mean, yeah, she's like totally iconic, but I think. Harry, the the guitar player in Venice, probably has more secrets. <laughs> probably. But, you know, people are just really hungry for any kind of little specks of history. And as you've seen the, some of the shows, you know, anything that's the history of the 70s, the history of the 80s and 90s, Pam and Tommy. Did you like that one? You know, I still haven't caught up with that one yet. I loved it. Did you? I've I've heard it's good. Uh, uh, uh who Lily? Uh, who's Lily Collins? Lily, no. yeah, is it Lily Collins. Yeah, yeah. she was fantastic. Yeah, she nailed it, and and it, and it was more dramatic than I expected it to be. Lily, ja maybe it was Lily. James. Lily James. Yeah, there you go. Lily Collins is Emily in Paris. <laughs> I'm Phil so Collins. bad with names. Phil Collins' daughter. Ask me about a punk club on Melrose <laughs> yeah. in 1985, but don't ask me who I've just watched every Wednesday <laughs> and fallen in love with, but I can't remember her name. Because she was Pam Anderson. Yeah. The, you know? the clips I've seen, uh, she, they both look amazing, but I have to catch up with that one. So, okay. So what do you do at Variety? So um, I'm deputy editor and I cover a lot of films, documentaries, um, breaking news, uh, podcasts, obituaries, restaurants, a little bit of everything. Hopefully they pay you quadruple because it sounds like you're doing like 18 jobs. It's, it's just, you know, over the years I've developed a few specialties. And so those, those are the things I gravitate to. And But I love TV too, so occasionally I'll dip into some TV coverage. Do you ever go to any of these uh, film festivals? I do. I've been to the Cannes Film Festival 14 times. Wait a second. Yeah. Do you parlay vous? Wee oui, wee. Oui. What? <laughs> okay. Cannes, from an outsider, again, I'm from the sticks of Illinois. What do I know about anything? It seems like the fanciest, but also the most expensive film festival. Is it expensive to, to like... Get a hotel room there? Oh yeah, it's it's incredibly expensive. I mean, unless you want to uh, stay in some really 
crappy place, which they have those places too, but even those will cost you three or four times what they would at any other time of the year. Have you been to South by Southwest? I haven't. We just bought it, but... What do you mean I, you bought it? Uh, Jay Penske, our owner, <laughs> he bought half of the festival. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't get a chance He's to go there. He's got that much year. money? Uh, you know, he... I don't know. <laughs> he comes up with good... With good uh, financing. He, he bought the film festival portion or the entire The entire festival, but only half of it. Wow. I guess you'll be going to South by Southwest soon. I hope so. I would love to. I've never been to Austin, and that's one I'd love to go to. I usually go to the Palm Springs Film Festival every year. I've been to the Savannah Film Festival in Georgia several times, to Seattle. Um, Santa Barbara? Uh, I haven't been to the Santa Barbara Film Festival. So strange. Uh, Hmm. To Napa, to Sundance a few times, but not recently. How come LA doesn't have a kick-ass film festival? That's a really good question uh, because it's hard here. People do... People are doing industry stuff all day long and they don't necessarily want to do it all night long, too. Mm. I think that's a big reason. And then part of it is just how the the festivals that were here evolved the la independent festival used to be a lot of fun and it was it was great for a while um that went away uh the afi festival uh just chugs along that used to be filmx and you know they do a nice job but it's not like it's not super buzzy big festival that some cities have Mm -hmm. i don't know if the place where movies made is the good place to have the best film festival right I think it's it's there's something about getting out of town. Right. You know, you're stuck in Palm Springs or you're stuck on the French Riviera. You're you're stuck in the snowy mountains. And all you can do is go to see films and hang out with other people who are going to see films. And there's something about that that works better or or in a big city like Seattle. That's for really for the people who live in Seattle and they love it because they don't work in Hollywood all day long. Let's, uh, first, again, thanks for being here today and sharing all this wealth of knowledge. Your dad was a producer. He was. What kind of producer? Well, he came out from Chicago. My family's all from Illinois, too. What? Yeah. My mom is from Bloomington, Illinois, and my dad was from Chicago. It's a great place to be from. It is. And so he managed some movie theaters there. And then he um, got kind of into the advertising business doing uh, promotion for Elvis Presley and selling Elvis Elvis Presley lipsticks and that kind of thing. (laughs) Never knew. Yeah. Also, you had to promote Elvis? Well, it was the first time they thought that maybe there should be products associated with a rock star. Right. There had never really been a rock star before, or, and they ha- there hadn't been very many products really for Bing Crosby and those kind of people. <laughs> so he was like, maybe we should have like some T-shirts and stuff. And uh, so that he was in charge of the merchandising for Elvis. Did he work with Colonel Tom? He did. Because that sounds like a Colonel Tom scheme. Yeah. So Colonel Tom, I guess, hired him to run that side of the business. How did he meet him? I'm not sure. It was in, you know, through Chicago advertising and film contacts, I guess. He knew a guy. 
<laughs> well, and and so he was also doing the merchandising for Roy Rogers and the Lone Ranger, and that's probably how they got connected. Wow. And so when I he, mean, the, some of the biggest names in all of entertainment. Yeah. No wonder you love entertainment. So that was before I was born. And then he heard that there was this film studio, that uh, UPA Productions, a cartoon studio, that was having trouble financially. And they didn't have the money to get into TV, which is where you needed to go at that time. And he bought UPA Productions, which was the studio that made Mr. Magoo. How about, where was that at? It was in Burbank, next door to the Smokehouse. And it was in this great uh, mid-century modern uh, office designed by John Lautner. Was Warner Brothers there back then? It was. So right across the street from Warner Brothers. I wonder why Warners just didn't buy it. That's a good question. Maybe no one saw the value in it. And my dad thought, well, we can we can turn these characters into some TV shows. And so he bought it, started making primetime cartoons, which were the first uh, cartoons on primetime. Mr. Magoo was one of the first primetime? Yeah. Before even the Flintstones? I th yeah, around the same time, but I think just a little before. Wow. And so then after a while, um, he got into the business of Godzilla. He started, he started making co-productions with Toho and made a couple of Godzilla movies and then acquired rights to a bunch of other Godzilla movies and started distributing those for, for several years after that. What was your dad's name? Hank Saperstein, Henry G. Saperstein on the movie credits. Hank Saperstein, familiarly. Does he have a Wikipedia page? Uh, I think so. I think so. Well, you need to go to this Wikipedia. Yeah. This is Again, this is why I love native Californians because, oh yeah, and my dad brought Godzilla to here, did a bunch of Godzilla and Mr. Magoo, primetime TV, no big whoop. And when he was buying these Godzilla movies to distribute in the U.S., they threw in a little spy movie called um, Key of Keys, which was like a terrible James Bond ripoff in Japanese. And um, somehow he or one of the people he worked with came up with the idea of hiring a comedian to dub it and release it in America with a dubbed com uh, comedic soundtrack. And my dad wanted Lenny Bruce, but he but then he knew that would never pass the censors. Oh. So they said, well, maybe you should look into this guy, Woody Allen, who's doing stand up. So he ended up getting Woody Allen to do the dubbing. A young Woody Allen. A young Woody Allen, I think it was his first movie or maybe right after What's Up Pussycat. Wow. I can ask you this question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. How should we feel about Woody Allen? I don't feel very good about him anymore, that's for sure. I mean, I never felt good about him because he sued my dad for What's Up Tiger Lily, so he was never thought of very well in our house. What did he sue him over? I guess he thought that he shouldn't have combined it with another film and released it without his knowledge or what, he something didn't know like what he that. was doing? I'm not sure exactly. It was, you know, I don't know how it happened, but he, huh. he thought he got screwed over somehow. Did Woody win this lawsuit? Think, I don't think so, because I don't think there were too many profits to be broken and split up. <laughs> I don't think there was a lot of money to go after there. Okay, but my question to you is, and this is kind of a trade, Nikki Fink, right. whatever, quite, and again, you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but I'm torn because I, I want to be a good person. The women in my life have taught me all the best lessons, and I want to... 
I want to be a good person. But can't you appreciate the work that he did and not appreciate the person? I can. Is that how we should look at him? I mean, I think you should look at him however, you know, is most comfortable for you. If you don't, some of those movies, knowing everything we know now, are kind of pretty uncomfortable to watch. Like Annie Hall. I, you know, I used to love Manhattan, Manhattan. but I don't think I can watch that anymore. Yeah. And I thought the documentary, the recent HBO documentary, I thought was devastating. Absolutely. And so for me, it's a little uncomfortable now. But I think that if you still love those movies, then go for it. Like nobody, who cares? You know, you can appreciate what happened in the past. You just don't have to appreciate the person he is now. (laughs) Um, I don't think he needs to be celebrated or awarded or, you know, given any more work necessarily now. But I don't think there's anything wrong with watching his old movies if that's what you're into. And it's, 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 we live in such an interesting age where because of the internet and because I guess the blogosphere helped start this, that people just started writing and writing and writing interesting things. And I'm learning that this famous artist was an asshole. And this one, Jimmy Page had a 14 year old girlfriend. I know. Like, don't tell me about David Bowie. Like just, just leave him out of it. Like, so, so is, is that the approach? I'm looking for guidance here, Pat. (laughs) Is, is I don't, I don't the, think I'm the person to guide you. But. I think you are, though. Because, again, I, I would rather get advice from a woman than from beer-drinking dudes, you know? And it's like, for example, I love Ted Nugent's music. Oh, my God. Do I want him to be sitting <laughs> on my couch today? Actually, yes. But he's he's a very... Not great person. No, no. He's... But Stranglehold is a great song. You know, love, love, love the art, hate the artist. I don't know. What is can is I that tell how you? we should look at things? Yeah. So I guess this this comes back to um, you were in the newsroom for. I guess you weren't. You were ordering pizza on the Oscars. We didn't do the newsroom in person this year because, um, you know, the recent um, Omicron outbreak and everything, we just decided to not do it in person this year. But, um, you know, all other years, we usually order pizza over in West L.A. And- oh, is that why you had pizza today? Or, or uh, on Sunday? Yeah, pizza is traditional on Oscar night. And the one time I ordered Thai food, that just did not work out to, to eat while you're working. Where'd you order Thai food from? Uh, from a place down in West LA, we have to, you know, the office is down there. I'm trying to think. Where do you remember where? Uh, it's on Santa Monica at Sautel, but I don't remember the name of it. Mmm, Sautel. <laughs> now that's a movie I could watch. Yeah, or a series. Every day they just go to a different place on Sautel. That would be good. Have you seen the series on Thai restaurants? No. On YouTube? No. It's made by like the Thai Tourism Bureau or something like that. It's great. About Thai Town? Yeah, it's great. You have to watch. I hear this is the only Thai Town in in the world. I think so. I think that's How did we get so lucky? Well, because we have the most Thai immigrants of of any city in the world. Is Jitlada your favorite? I love Jitlada. I love jazz. um, But I love a lot of Thai places equally. They're all... Equally? (laughs) Maybe not equally, but... (laughs) It's it's one of my favorite cuisines, so I I like a lot of different Thai places. I was just there the other day with a friend from San Francisco who'd never been, and living in walking distance of the place, I think I take it for granted, and I experiment with places that just aren't up to snuff. 
Jazz is just a gem. She is. She's she's amazing. Have you been to Northern Thai Food Club? No. That's also right over here. You have to. Northern is not as spicy, it's, or is it more spicy? Well, which one is the more spicy? They're both spicy. Some of the Southern Thai dishes at Jitlada are insanely spicy. I had the jungle curry one day. Right. That that is insanely spicy. But Northern can also be very spicy. Okay, but. I, okay, I can't handle super spicy. Yeah, but so I can go to Northern and you can. Yeah, you can tell them what you want, and they they won't kill you. What do you recommend? I recommend the eggplant salad with the uh, hard boiled egg on top is really great, and um, I forget what else, but you have to try it. Let me let me wrap it up with this: street festivals. Echo Park used to have. Uh, Echo Park, Echo Park Rising. Um, Rising. Yeah. I almost said Unleashed. <laughs> um, right in front of Tax. Yeah. RIP to come. Yeah. I saw Alice Bag right there behind behind Tax. Um, why, why, why are we allowing Tax to just be destroyed? Well, because that's what the family who owns it wants. They Too can't, bad. They can't keep it going. They, Too bad. They can't make any money. And it's a huge piece of land that could be providing housing to dozens and dozens of people, some of them low income. That's how I should look at it. I think so. Okay. We, we, can, we have to just love what we had and then move on. I feel like if Jay Penske can buy half of South by Southwest, <laughs> we're not taxing him enough. And with that tax money, we can help out tax. that wouldn't be the one i would pick to save who would you save i would take the chili bowl which is being dismantled in west la and that also is going to have housing on the site so i would say fine take it off the site build the housing and then rebuild the chili bowl in some great location and just have a kick-ass chili restaurant in the shape of a bowl as it was meant to be in the 20s and 30s this is uh, Pico and the 405, basically. I think so, yeah. Oh, no, the 10. Pico Pe- and the 10. Pico near Sentinel, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Was that really that good of chili? Oh, it was. It hasn't been chili, you know, since the 30s, I think. Oh, okay, Or good. the 40s. Because I was like, I've never had chili there. I remember being a sushi place recently. Yeah, it's been a lot of different things. Yeah. We could talk all day about food. Pat, thank you. Thank you so much. And what can we look forward to on Variety? Well, Variety has a lot of great stuff coming out. Check out the Magic Johnson cover today. Uh, Really nice uh, article. Are you watching that series, Winning Time? I did start watching it and love love anything that has all that old L.A. history in it. So it's been fun. I was so pleasantly surprised by that movie or by that series. Um, First of all, the guy that plays Magic Johnson looks just like him. Yeah. The Kareem guy, not too bad either. And they also seem really tall. Right. So how do you find two tall guys <laughs> that look just like these iconic people? Right. Have you met Magic before? I haven't, but a lot of people got to when he came to our office to be photographed, and they were they were very excited. Where is Variety right now? So we're uh, just right near Sautel, uh, Santa Monica, um, between Sautel and Sepulveda. Oh. Right on the freeway. By... by- <laughs> Practically on top of the freeway. Where the Tesla dealership yes, is? Next to the, yes, still next to the Tesla dealership. All right. Pat, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You keep rocking. You too. How great was Pat? You know who else we could talk with all day about L.A.? Our Patreon. 
When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, Jordan, here's an issue of Variety. Here's a subscription to Variety. Here's a subscription to all the trades. Every donation you hand over helps us keep this insane project rolling. So shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Grinky, Ben Welsh, Henry Furman, Jen Adams, The Lonely Chair, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wilde, and Dougie Gyro. Want to hear your name at the end of next week's show? Go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give till it hurts. Also, shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, all you have to do is pay Palace 25 bucks or more, and we will list you on the Here in LA website that's almost done. You'll be given a number to denote how early you got in. For example, Angelino number one, Allie Miller. Number two, George Wright. Three is Rita Joanne. Four is Jason Sutter. Five is Grant Houghton. Six is Rob Baker. Seven is Kev Chang. Eight is Brenda Garcia. And nine is John Griffiths. Just PayPal your hard-earned cash to busblog at gmail.com. Want to support us, but you just took your family to see Top Gun and everybody wanted their own popcorn? You can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook. Oh my God, post two. Tweet something nice about us. You know, I don't think anybody has posted two Here in LA episodes on the same day. Let's see if one of you can do that. Anytime you see me tweet about an episode, retweet it. And for God's sake, tell your friends. Tell them how Here in LA is spelled and it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and even Spotify. Here in LA is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man who deserves a full-page ad in Variety one day, Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Oregon and Jordan Katz. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and all the native Californians who bear with all of us transplants arriving by Greyhound bus, just like W. Axel Rose did every, every day. day. Every day.